if we're going to preach it today like the way we need to preach it, you're going to need to respond today. So uh, last week we talked about taking ground, which was the first part of this series about the life of Joshua. And uh, I encourage you, if you didn't hear it, uh, to go back and listen to it. It's online. You can go to our website and listen to it. Go to uh, the podcast on iTunes and listen to it uh, about taking ground. But this is part two of it today, and I believe we're going to build on what we learned last week. So this is kind of the theme verses for this series. It's Joshua 1 and 1 through 9. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. It says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. Verse 3, I promise you, like I promised Moses, I will be with you wherever you set your foot. You will be on the land I have given you. And he kind of talks about uh, the land and the map. It goes down to verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. Come on, can I get amen? Amen. I will not fail you or abandon you. You realize when we read this, once again, this is not just to Joshua. This is to you. God's talking to you. He says, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate uh, Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Come on, can I get amen? Okay, so last week we talked about uh, taking grand, ground, the first part. We're going to kind of build on that today. Um, and today I want to talk about steps of faith. Steps of faith. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, steps of faith. And we're going to continue uh, learning about Joshua, the life of Joshua. We mentioned this last week, but it says in Romans that the reason that the Old Testament was written is so that we could read it and be encouraged. And we can read it and have hope because when God talks about all these great men and women of God in the Bible, it's not just for them, it's for you. He's not just telling you what Joshua did so you can think that Joshua was awesome. He's telling you what Joshua did saying that you could do these same things. You can do what Moses did. You can do what Abraham did. You can do what all these men and women of faith have done in the Bible. That's why he shows us these men and women of God in the Bible. So we see that the Old Testament is written for our learning, for our encouragement, for our help, and so that we could read those and be encouraged and lifted up. So that's why we're studying the book of Joshua today. Because Joshua was one of those figures in the Bible that that we see as an example for us. Now I want to tell you something else about Joshua. The the thing is, when you're studying your Bible, especially in the Old Testament, a lot of times you'll see this is in the Old Testament, there's something called types and shadows. Types and shadows. Now, a type and a shadow is this. In the Old Testament, when it talks about certain people in the Bible, a lot of times they are types and shadows of Jesus to come. They're not Jesus, but they're showing you what Jesus will be like. So like Abraham and Moses and Joshua and David and Solomon, all those men of God are types and shadows of Jesus to come. Now, let me tell you how that works. So they're showing you what Jesus is going to be like, but they're an Old Testament example of that. And actually, the name Joshua is uh, the Hebrew version of Jesus. Uh, The Greek version is Jesus, but the Hebrew version is Joshua, uh, the way you say their name, the way you pronounce it. And Joshua means God saves or God is salvation. God saves or God is salvation. And we see that just like Joshua, Jesus is our leader. Come on now, somebody. I said you're going to have to help me today. Jesus is our leader just like Joshua was the leader of God's people. And what did Joshua do? He helped take God's people into the promised land. Now, we're not going to the promised land, but it says in the New Testament, because of Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen because of him. 
So he doesn't lead us into a physical promised land, but he leads us into all the promises of God in Jesus are yes and amen. So that's why we can look at the book of Joshua and we can see Jesus in there because just like Joshua led God's people into the promises of God, Jesus leads all of us into the promises of God. Come on, amen? And so all the promises of God in him are yes and amen. So we see Joshua means God saves or God is salvation. So when you read your Bible, be looking for that. That's interesting to study when you read different books in the Old Testament to see the types and shadows of Jesus to come. So that's important. But also Joshua tells us on what God can do in our lives, what he can do in our lives, what he wants to do. And the thing is that he wants to bring us into the promises of God, just like he brought Joshua and God's people into the promised land. Now, we're not taking ground as in we're going to the Middle East today and we're taking a portion of the land, which is known as the Holy Land and the Promised Land. God has not called us to do that, but He has called us to receive all the promises of God that are in the Bible. There's hundreds and thousands of promises in the Bible that belong to us, and we need to take what belongs to us. Now, the whole point of this series is for all of us in here to take what God has provided for us. Because in the first you know, five books of the Bible... We see Moses, and he knew what was promised to God's people. He knew the inheritance that God had for them. But what did he not do? He didn't take possession of what belonged to him. Like a lot of believers. A lot of believers know their inheritance and what belongs to them. But it's not good enough just to know it. You have to go take possession of what belongs to you. And just like Moses and even Joshua and God's people knew what belonged to them, they had to take steps of faith to go into the land that God had promised them. Just like us, if we want to receive what God has for us, we have to take steps of faith to take possession of what already belongs to us as believers. So it's not good enough just to know that God can heal and God can deliver and God wants to prosper you and and God wants to give you a sound mind and God wants to give you peace. God wants to give you joy. It's not good enough just to know somewhere along the line you have to take possession of what belongs to you. God won't do that for you, but he'll help you take what belongs to you. But you have to take a step of faith. So that's what we're talking about today, steps of faith. Everybody say steps of faith. God takes steps of faith to go in and possess what belongs to us. So we're going to talk about the story of Joshua taking God's people. This is kind of the first part. We're going into the promised land today, y'all. You ready? Joshua taking the first steps into the promised land, but he has to cross the Jordan River. That's a good river name, isn't it? Wouldn't you say that's just a refreshing name? It just has a good ring to it. The Jordan River. Refreshing. Just refreshing. I feel better saying that. The Jordan River. So he crosses the Jordan River. You know the funny thing about that? Jordan means refreshing, as you can see, that that's what it means. But the Jordan River is one of the dirtiest rivers. No, I'm not joking. In all of Israel. So um, I can't brag about too much because it is the dirtiest river in all of Israel. But the Jordan River. So we see the Jordan River. They're going to cross the Jordan River into the promised land. And they have to cross that first before they can go into what God has provided for them. Um, And so we're going to kind of hang out in chapter 3 and chapter 4. We're not going to read all of uh, these two chapters. I'm going to kind of tell you what it says so we can move a little bit quicker. But here's something to think about. So Joshua is taking God's people into the promised land, but they have to cross a river first. They have to go and cross this first. We mentioned this last week, but, but for everything that God has called us to, to go into or to receive, there's always going to be pushback. There's always going to be an obstacle in the way of the promises of God, always. And for some reason, a lot of Christians don't, don't think that that will happen. They think it will just be easy and everything. There will never be a challenge. There will never be an obstacle. There will never be a mess. There will never be a test. There will never be anything in their way. They would just, just uh, walk easily into all the promises of God. It doesn't work like that. Now, they are yours, but the enemy wants to fight you on everything that God says is yours. 
Because he doesn't want you to receive it. He doesn't want you to take ground on what really belongs to you. So there's always going to be obstacles in the way of what God has called us to do. There's going to be problems in front of our promise. Because he wants to stop us from receiving what God has for us. And we see that, you know, if the enemy can't get you to, um, you know, not go to hell, he's going to try to stop you in your earth walk here to be uh, the least effective as you can be. (laughs) So uh, for a lot of us as believers, okay, he he lost the battle, we're going to heaven. Um, But what he's going to try to do is hinder your life on earth so you don't receive the promises of God, so you don't fulfill your calling, so you don't do what God is calling you to do. Since he can't stop that. So he will put obstacles and problems in your way. Not that you can't overcome. But he'll put things in your way for you to give up, back up, and let the enemy take the ground that doesn't belong to him. We see that in the promised land there was uh, 31 different kings that were in the promised land. There were cities, there was people, there was giants there already in the promised land. So there was going to have to be a fight to receive the promises of God. The Bible says fight the good fight of faith. We talk about victory, but that implies that there was a battle along the way. Come on, are you here today? And God says, just like he said to Joshua, I will be with you. And I will be with you and go with you just like I was with Moses. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. No one will be able to stand against you. Be strong and courageous. That's what he says three times. And then he goes on and he says, wherever you set your foot, I will give it to you. But notice you have to set your foot first. So we see that this this balance, and a lot of Christians don't understand this balance, that is it all God or is it all me? Well, it's it's neither of those. It's it's both of you working together. We are co-laborers with God. God says that it's yours, but you have to step out in faith and do something. God says, I will help you fight your battles, but you have to take the first step. God says, I want you to be healed, and I provide it for you, but you have to receive it. There's, there's God's side, and there's our side. And we get in error when we overemphasize one side over the other. No, we're working together with him. And notice, they could have stayed in the wilderness the rest of their lives if Joshua and God's people never would have took steps of faith into the promised land. Even though it was theirs. Even though God said it's yours. Receive it. Take possession of it. If they never would have stepped out. They would have stayed in the wilderness. And not in the promises of God. So Joshua had a responsibility. God's people have a responsibility. And we have a responsibility as God's people. To step out in faith. To take possession of what belongs to us. We can't just sit back. And think about all the wonderful things God has done for us. We got to receive them. We got to take possession of them. So we see that this is the story of Joshua and God's people going over and through the Jordan River into the promised land. Which this was their first obstacle to get past. And there's a lot in this story. And I think you're going to be encouraged by the time you leave today. Hopefully you're already encouraged. But I think you'll be really encouraged by this story because I was going to actually skip to Jericho, the story of Jericho, because we, we, we all know the story of Jericho in here. A lot of us do. I was going to skip to that part, but I was like, i got to preach on this first before we go to Jericho. And really, if you're looking at a map, you got to go through the Jordan River before you get to Jericho anyway. So let's talk about it because uh, there's so much in this story. So we see that There's this thing that keeps coming up in the book of Joshua. I will be with you as I was with Moses. Because Moses put Joshua in charge. and said, hey, you need to listen to him. He's the leader. He's going to have the word of the Lord. You need to follow him. But you know, with a new leader, people have questions. (laughs) People are like, he's a little young. He's a little inexperienced. I don't know about him. Exactly. And they had the same thing with Joshua. They, they knew Moses, but they weren't for sure about Joshua. So God goes to Joshua and he says, I'm going to perform this miracle before we go into the promised land just to let people know I'm with you just like I was with Moses. 
And so that's why we see the Jordan River is the first really miracle going into the promised land because God says, I want you to be a good leader and I need these people to follow you. So I'm going to show them, hey, just like I work with Moses, I'm going to work with you. And they're going to see you as the leader that God has called you to be before their eyes. So this is what happens. They go to the Jordan River and God gives him specific instructions on what to do when they go to the Jordan River. Now, we're going to see in a second, the river's going to part, and they're going to go over on dry ground over to the promised land. Now, have you ever heard a story like that in the Bible? Moses in the Red Sea. You see that God told him, I want you to stretch your rod out, and I want you to to part the Red Sea, and I'll do it, and you'll walk across on dry ground. And notice, all these years later, Joshua's doing the same thing at the Jordan River. God is parting the waters, and they're walking over on dry ground. He's trying to show them, as I was with Moses. Hey, you guys remember this? I'll be with Joshua. Moses can part waters, so can Joshua. I'm the same God who was with him as I am with you guys right now, and I can do it. Okay, now there's, before we get into the details of what happened, now you're still with me today. I can feel that you're starting to get excited about what's going to happen. I told you, we're going to the promised land today. <laughs> so I feel like singing a VeggieTales song, but I won't right now. So we see that, now the Bible's beautiful. If you guys actually study the Bible, the Bible's not boring, it's beautiful. It's a lot of people just don't understand the Bible, so that's why they say it's boring. And so that's more on your side than God's side. Let's just be honest. Because uh, if you knew how to study your Bible and understand some things or you just got uh, enough interest in the Bible, you'd look some stuff up and figure some things out and like, oh my gosh, that's in there and I never knew it. So we see that God delivered his people out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of the world, through the Red Sea. He brought them out of slavery, out of bondage, out of the world, out of death through the Red Sea. Now, so he brought him out of death into life because the Red Sea. Because when the Red Sea came back together, all the enemies were destroyed. Now, Red Sea, because it's a type and shadow of what happens to us when we get saved. God brings us out of slavery, out of bondage, out of death, and he destroys our enemies through the Red Sea. What's the Red Sea? The blood of Jesus. Come on now, somebody. And we go from death to life. That's step one. Most believers are okay with just a Red Sea moment. Most believers are okay with God doing it one time. But God's not satisfied with that because notice, they came out of death into life they came through the Red Sea, but they can't went into the wilderness. Now, that's not the promised land. But most people are okay with just salvation. Are you here today? Most believers are, are okay that I'm going to go to heaven one day in the sweet by and by, and it's all going to be okay then, and I'll be healed then, and I'll be prosperous then, and I'll be full of peace then, but it's going to be hell on earth all the way till I get to heaven. That's what most believers think. The same ones who listen to Christian radio. Sorry, I had to throw it in there. So, most people are okay with just salvation. And God will let you have whatever you're okay with. But that wasn't the plan. Because God always brings you out to bring you in. God doesn't want to just bring you out of death. He wants to bring you into life. He doesn't just want to bring you out of sickness. He wants to bring you into healing. Come on now, somebody. He doesn't want to just bring you out of poverty. He wants to bring you into prosperity. He doesn't just want to bring you out of depression. He wants to bring you into joy. Come on now. Are you here with me today? So God always brings you out to bring you in. But notice most people are okay with just a Red Sea moment in their life. But God says, I want to do it again. And I'm going to show you this time, you're not, I'm not doing this imparting the seed to bring you out of something. I'm parting the seed to bring you into the promised land. Come on now, somebody. 
Because God's not okay with just bringing us out. He wants to bring us in to all the promises of God. Because in Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen. So he brings us out of Egypt, out of, through the Red Sea, but he wants to bring us through the Jordan River into the promised land because the Jordan River was the entry to the promises of God. And that's what God wants to do through, through you today. I want you to understand today, it's not enough that you just got saved. That's great. But God has more for you. There's more for you. He wants to bring you into the promised land, the promises of God. So he brings you out of that to bring you into life, into health, into prosperity, into peace, into the abundant life that God has for us. And so just like God's people here, we're going to read about. They have to take those steps of faith to go through the Jordan River into the promises of God. And so do you. And you'll be different than other believers. And you'll be different than other Christians because most people are satisfied with just a Red Sea moment. But you need to not just go through the Red Sea. You need to go through the Jordan River into the promises of God. And receive what God has for you. Come on, are you receiving something today? And you know what? That makes God so happy. So appreciative because you receive actually what he's done for you. When you take and possess the inheritance that he's given you, that makes him so joyful, so excited. In the same way, when you give somebody a gift and they receive it and they use it and they take it, how excited are you about that? Now, there's sometimes I give clothes away and those people never wear it. And I'll never give them another thing. But there's other people that wear the clothes I give them. I say, let me bless this person some more. Why? Because they received it. And they used it. That's the same way with God. God says, hey, you know, these people are receiving and possessing what I've given them. It makes me so happy. Let Let me give them more. Let me help them more. So God takes note when we receive the promises of God. So I just wanted to share that with you before we go any further. God brings you out to bring you in to what he has for you. We see that in Joshua 3 and 4, and we're going to read a little bit in here. uh, I'm going to tell you more about it. That you see Joshua living out the command that God just gave him in Joshua 1. Now, the command in Joshua 1 was this. I want you to go in the promised land. And he says specifically, I want you to go through the Jordan River. That's the way I want you to go in. And I've given you the land. Go possess it. And then he goes and encourages Joshua because he knows Joshua's going to see some things that are not encouraging. That's why God encourages us because he knows ahead of you there's going to be some discouraging things. So let me put some encouragement in you. So he says, when you go there, I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't be discouraged or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. And he says, listen to my instructions. Listen to what Moses told you. Listen to the book of of the law, this book of instruction. And do what it says. And then you will succeed. And then you will be uh, able to do what I've called you to do. And he goes on and says, don't be afraid. No one will be able to stand against you. For I will go with you wherever you go. Still here today. So we see that they were crossing the Jordan River. Crossing the Jordan River. Now the Jordan River is 156 miles long. Uh, At the top of it is the Sea of Galilee. And at the bottom of it is the Dead Sea. But there's 156 miles of Jordan River that's kind of a barrier to go into the Promised Land. Now on an average day, it would be hard to go across the uh, Jordan River. But it says in Joshua 3 and 4, we're going to read this uh, maybe in a little bit, but I'll just tell you what it says. It says that the Jordan River was at harvest time. So it was flooded. So it would have been hard on an average day to go over, but it happened to be the time that it was flooded. So I did some research about this, and they said on an average day, uh, the Jordan River would be 100 feet wide. But during the rainy season or harvest season, when it was flooded, it could be over a mile wide, the river. And would be very dangerous because of all the waters and the flooding. 
So it wasn't just an easy thing that they could just make boats or just try to walk across. No, it could be over a mile wide, the Jordan River, because of this flooding, and it would be very dangerous. And that's the river God says go across. (laughs) What do we say? There's an obstacle in front of the promises of God. There's problems in front of the promise. I don't think it's a coincidence that it happened the time that they were going to cross. Like I said, on an easy day, it still wouldn't have been super easy to cross. But on a day like this, with the water very dangerous, really wide, there would be no way that God's people, because we're talking about men, women, children, grandmas, grandpas, everybody, horses, mules, luggage, could get across that river. There would be no way into the promised land. Or it would take so long that the enemy on the other side could eventually see them. So, God told Joshua what to do. Just like he told Moses what to do, he gave him instructions. He told Joshua what to do. And he told Joshua, I want you to have the priest who have the Ark of the Covenant go out into the river first. I want you to... Put them out there first, and as soon as they put their foot, keeps coming up. As soon as they put their foot in the water, because God said, wherever you put your foot, I'll give it to you. And he says, as soon as those priests with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders step into the water, the waters will part, and it will be dry ground on either side. And I want the priest of God with the Ark of the Covenant to be in the middle of the Jordan River until everybody goes across. And then when they are all across, then they can walk out of the river and the water will go back together. That's the instructions that he gave to Joshua. But notice, he had those instructions already from Moses, but God gave him further instructions on how to do it and how to take ground. So I have four things I want to talk about today before we close. If we're going to take ground and take steps of faith in our life. Number one, listen for instructions. Listen for instructions. If we're going to take the ground that God has given us in our life, we have to listen just like Joshua listened. We have to listen just like Moses listened. And what did it say again in that first chapter? It said, if you listen to me and you do what Moses said, and you do what I'm telling you to do, you will prosper and succeed in everything you do. Implying if you don't listen, you won't succeed. So if we're going to take steps of faith and take ground that God has given us, we're going to have to listen for instructions from God. He will tell you how to take ground in your life. He will tell you the next steps of faith you need to take for victory. Now, He won't tell you all the steps, but it'll tell you the next steps you need to take. So if we're going to take ground, we need to listen for instructions. Listen for instructions. Moses listened, Joshua listened, and God said, if you listen to me, you will succeed in this. But if you don't listen, you're not going to make it to the promise. And it goes back to faith. Faith is only known where the will of God is known. If you don't know God's will, you don't have any faith for it. That's why Joshua had to wait for a word from God before he went over. Because if he didn't, he could be unsure about what was going to happen. But notice, as soon as Joshua got told what God was going to do, faith came because the will of God came. Come on, are you here today? It's the same way with your life. You can never step out in faith and be bold unless you already know what God has told you. And that's why we need to once again get into the word of God and know what has God told me. And listen with our spiritual ears and listen and say, what have you told me God to do? Because faith can only be there and notice faith is the victory that overcomes the world. There's no victory without faith. So he knew unless I hear from God, I can't have any faith to go in the promised land. It's the same way for us. Unless you hear from God, Either his audible voice or the inward witness or the word of God, you can't have faith. 
And the reason, notice, Joshua was successful when he went into the promised land, when he went across the Jordan River, is because he was in faith, because he knew the will of God. Come on, are you here today? He knew the will of God. So faith can only be there where the will of God is known. When you know God spoke to you, then you can have faith. And notice, when you have faith, faith is the victory. So first of all, if we're going to take steps of faith, we need to listen for instructions from God. Like I said, that could happen by reading your Bible. That could happen in a service like this today. That could happen uh, on your job, on the way to school. It could happen when you're listening to worship. It could happen with an inward witness, that feeling of peace. It could happen a lot of different ways. So if we're going to take ground and take steps of faith, we're going to need to listen for instructions. Number two, we're going to need to honor the presence of God. Honor the presence of God. We see in this story, Joshua was instructed to take the priest and the Ark of the Covenant and send them over first. And they would step into the water first. And when they did, the waters would part and the people could go across on dry ground. Now, if you know anything about the Ark of the Covenant, not the Indiana Jones version, but the Bible version of it, the Ark of the Covenant meant the presence of God. It housed the presence of God. So you think about this when you read this about the Ark of the Covenant going with them and the priest taking the Ark of the Covenant. That means, like he promised, I will go with you and be with you wherever you go because the Ark of the Covenant was a physical representation of the presence of God going with his people. Because they didn't live in a day that we live in where the presence of God just dwells in us and is all around us. They didn't live in those days. At that time, the presence of God was in the Ark of the Covenant and nowhere else. And he says, I want the presence of God to go first and then the waters will part. Now what I see about this is we honor the presence of God in our life if we want to take ground. Is the presence of God first? Come on, don't get quiet on me now. Is the presence of God first in your life? In your house, in your car, at your job, wherever you go. Because God said when you put the presence of God first, then I'll open up a way where there is no way. When you put the presence of God first, and notice that they had the priest and the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God, go first. That's significant. You know what God wants to be first in your life? God said, put me first, seek my kingdom first, give me what's first. And it's not for selfish reasons. He knows it's because it will help you, not him. And he says, put me first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. God wants you to put him first. Why? Because he wants to work in your life. He wants to move in your life, but he knows he can't fully do that unless we put him first. So Joshua commanded the priest and the ark go first because that's the presence of God. We will take ground and take steps of faith when we honor the presence of God in our life. Honor the presence of God in your life. You should be thankful you come to a church like this. You should be thankful you hear worship you hear. You should be a thankful person because not every church believes in the presence of God. They say they do on paper, but ain't no presence there. Other than some bad breath and some bad attitudes, that's all that's there. There ain't no presence of God there. And we need to be a people that honor the presence of God because the presence of God is what changes things. The presence of God is what changes your life. The presence of God is what changes your home. The presence of God is what changes everything in your life. If there's no presence, nothing changes. And you and I know this, there's been people that go through rehab and addiction counseling and counseling for this and counseling for that and they don't change. Why don't they change? Because they can't do it by themselves. They can't do it apart from the presence of God. 
You can't change. You can't make it. You can't do it apart from the presence of God. And that's why we need to honor the presence of God and put it first. Because when you put the presence first, then things start changing. And notice what he did. When the, the priest and the Ark of the Covenant went first, the waters parted and opened a way into the promises of God. Think about that for your life. When you honor the presences of God, it opens the way to the promise. When you honor the presence of God, it makes a way out of no way when you honor the presence of God. And you put it first. You guys still here today? Number three, step out in faith. Step out in faith. You realize it could be dangerous for the priest to step out in a river that is raging and flooded, especially with an Ark of the Covenant on their back, which is not lightweight. Those priests had to step out in faith with the ark on their back. And then God parted the waters. But notice who stepped first. They did. God said, wherever you put your foot, I'll give it to you. Let me just be really honest with all of us in here. A lot of times, we're not waiting on God. God's waiting on us. He's saying, I want to do a miracle. I want to part the waters. But you refuse to step into the water. You see in the Gospels when Jesus was healing people, what would he say? Put out your hand. And they could have said, no, I can't do it. And he could have said, well, you can't be healed then. But what would he do? He would tell them to do something first. He would tell them, hey, you want to be healed? Go bathe in this pool. You want to be healed? Rub this mud in your eyes. You want to be healed? Stretch out your hand. You want to be healed? How bad do you want it? But he would always give them an action to do because your actions show your faith. Your actions show your faith. Dad read it, faith without works are dead. But notice faith with works are alive. And God has steps for us to take. If we want to receive the promises of God, we have to take a step of faith. Just like the priest that took the ark had to take a step of faith. To receive the promises of God. I wrote this down. Living faith always leads to action. Living faith always leads to action. Our faith and our actions have to go together. If it's real. Because God will always ask us to step out in faith. See that's, a, that's kind of an old tradition. Like faith is just in your heart and it's personal. Isn't that precious? It's personal. It's a personal choice. No, if it's real faith, you're going to have an action. It's going to come out of your mouth. It's going to come out of your actions. No, you're going to show something to somebody else. This idea that I just have faith in my heart, you don't. If it's real faith, faith will lead to action. Give me an example. You can say, I love God with all my heart and I honor Him with everything I have. He'll say... Do you tithe and give offerings? Because faith right now is just in your heart, but there's no actions. So faith without works is dead. That's not real faith. And he'll say, put your faith in action. If you believe I'm a provider, then why don't you give something? Because faith, if it's real, will lead to action. If you're wanting to be healed in your body, God might not just say, get up in the prayer line. He might say, why don't you eat better? Excuse me? He might say, exercise. He might say, you need to go to a doctor and check on your health. He might not just say, get in the prayer line. Because faith without works is dead. He will give you steps to take if it's real faith. You want another example? Okay. Because living faith will always lead to action. I don't know if you're ready for this. You say, well, God, I believe for my kids, but you're the parent, not God. When's the last time you talked to them about God? When's the last time you prayed with them? When's the last time you put on worship music instead of the radio? 
He might say, it's, it's one thing to have it in your heart, but it needs to be in your actions too. Yes, believe me for your kids, but also practically do something. And once again, that's a misconception in the church world especially, which makes no sense, but some reason it's filtered in there. But our faith and our actions have to go together. Living faith will always have actions. So we see the priests went over on dry ground with the Ark of the Covenant. But the priests weren't the only ones who had faith. You realize all of God's people had to go across the Jordan River, which was a mile wide at that time because it was flooded. They could see the waters on either side. How many know it took faith to cross that even though they saw the waters on either side? Because they were thinking, uh, God, you better hold this water up for a second because I'm walking as fast as I can to the other side. That would be fearful in the natural to go and walk when there's floodwaters on either side. You're like, any second now, it could just come and crash and I would be done. Now, that's what people think. So even God's people had to step out in faith and believe that God told Joshua to do this. God commanded us to do this. We put the presence of God first. So I believe that he's going to hold it up till we get across. And that's what he did. Stepped out in faith. And God showed up. Living faith will always lead to action. And we see that everybody went to the other side. They made it. And the last people there were the priests. Now this is something that happens at the end of the story that's really, it's really interesting, I think really powerful. God said, to mark this moment, I want you to take 12 men, because there's 12 tribes, and I want you to go get rocks, not a pebble, like big rocks, because he said put it on your shoulder. And I want you to put 12 stones in the river where the priest in the Ark of the Covenant was. But he also said, I want you to take 12 stones out of the river and carry them out of the river. And when we get to where we're going to camp tonight, I want you to put it up as a memorial to God of what God did. So there's so much in this, and and I'm going to uh, read what it says. Joshua 4 in verse 21. Joshua 4 in verse 21. This is in the New Living. It says, Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them there is, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before our eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea, when we we dried up until we all crossed. Verse 24, He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. Let me read from the message translation what it says. He says, yes, God, your God, dried up the Jordan waters uh, for you until you had crossed, just as God, your God, did at the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we crossed. Listen to this. This was so everybody on earth would recognize how strong God's rescuing hand is. And so that you would hold God in solemn reverence always. So he says, once you get over to the other side, after the waters have went back together, we're going to set up these 12 stones. And we're going to put it as a memorial to God. Because he realized... Your faith is nothing unless you pass it on to other people. It's awesome what happened with Joshua, but what about the next generations? What about the other people that are going to see this in the future? What about the other nations that need to know God? They're going to see this. And so Joshua said, I want you to put these 12 stones as a memorial to God for what he did today. The first step in bringing us into the promised land. And he says, one day, your kids are going to ask, what are those for? Other nations are going to ask, what are these 12 stones for? 
And you'll be able to say, we saw God perform a miracle today. We saw God part the waters and go across on dry ground so we could go in the promised land. We saw God, so he said we could say forever that God's hand is strong. God's hand is powerful, and we have seen awesome things today. So we could say that in the future and put a memorial to God. So the last thing I want to share with you today is this. We talked about listen for instructions. Honor the presence of God. Step out in faith. Make a memorial. Make a memorial. Just like Joshua made a memorial to God and put these 12 stones for future generations and other people to see, we need to make a memorial when God does something great in our lives. We need to be thankful and talk about it to other people, about what God has done for us. We need to make a memorial of what God has done. Notice, not to go back and worship it, but to go back and be thankful for what God has done and where he's brought us from. So we can tell our children and our children's children, and we can tell other people, our coworkers, our neighbors, what God has done in our lives. Make a memorial. In Acts 10 and 4, you could write this down. It says that Cornelius was a man who was seeking after God, and his prayers and his giving were a memorial to God. Your prayers and your giving could be a memorial to God. Your prayers that will outlive you and outlast you are a memorial to God. The giving that you give to this church but to other people is a memorial to God. What you do with your life is a memorial to God. In 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5, it says that we are living stones making up this house, the church. You know, in the New Testament, we're not going to a place to see physical stones. He says that believers, we are walking stones as memorials to God. We are living stones. So everywhere we go as believers, we are a memorial to the goodness of God. We are a memorial of what God has done in our life. We are a testimony of the goodness of God. And we are not just stones in a physical location. We are living stones in God's house. Come on now, somebody. That's what happens in the New Testament. God doesn't care about us stacking up some stones out back. He cares about our life now in the New Testament because we are living stones that make up the house of God. We are memorials to the goodness of God. So notice, when your children and your children ask, you can tell them what happened in your life. When your neighbors ask, you can tell them what God did in your life. When your coworkers ask, you can tell them what God did in your life because you are now a memorial to God of the goodness of God. Are you getting what I'm laying down today? So we are memorials to God. We are living stones now. God's not looking for us to create an altar in our backyard or a statue at our house to prove the goodness of God. He's looking at us at our lives as living stones to God, a memorial of what God has done in our lives. That's what pleases God. And notice what he says. In future generations, people will ask, And you need to tell them what God did. You know, when people ask at work, don't be afraid. Tell them what God did. That gives people hope. If your coworker asks, somebody you go to school with or at the gym with, they ask about your life, don't be afraid. God is trying to use your life as a memorial to his goodness to, to let people know that, no, if you could do it in his life, you could do it in my life, God. Are you here today? I'm going to close. I just want to say a few more things before we close today. Our lives should be a memorial to God. Our prayers, our giving, our life, what God has done. And when we make a memorial to God, it shows our thankfulness. You know, Joshua and them would have just kept walking to the promised land. God would be like, "Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Hello. Did you see what I just did? How many of us do that in our daily lives? God does stuff for us all the time. We never say thank you. 
We never make a big deal out of it. We never say, God, thank you for doing this in my life. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for helping my family. And make a memorial of what God has done. Notice, not to worship it, but to be thankful, to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. So, thinking about this, I'm going to try not to cry on this part, okay? Don't make me cry. Promise? Just thinking about our church. There's memorials to God that has happened here that you could tell generations in the future what God did. You can tell people in this community what God did. You can tell coworkers what God did. So thinking about my life, I've seen some things in my life already at 30 years old. I've grown up in this. So I don't know anything different. But Natalie hasn't seen what I've seen. Hello, somebody. Some of the people you know hasn't seen anything you've seen. And we just assume that everybody knows what we know and they don't. But you need to make a memorial to God. So you and I can look back on our life and when we're in a situation, we can remember a story by Dr. Jacobs in Otisco. I'm going to get through this. Come on, you're helping me, right? Okay. Come on. As a memorial to God, we can look back at it and say, if God could do it then, he can do it now. And notice, he's, he says, Joshua says, one day people are going to ask about this. Mom and dad, how did you get through that? Grandma and grandpa, what did God do? Your coworkers, your people that are in your neighborhood are going to ask, how did you make it through that? How did you do that? No, but you can think back. And Otisco, when dad says there was 14 basketballs, and they were all different things like depression, like marriage issues, like poverty, like uh, you know pain in his body. And he can look back and say, God, help me get through all of those. And there was no longer any things to deal with anymore. Come on now, somebody. That story, even though it's old, it's a memorial to God in our minds, isn't it? Of what God has done. I know a lot of you have testimonies after testimonies that you could share as a memorial to God. But you think back about different stories. You could think back about when I was born 30 years ago. And they said that I wasn't going to be born normal and I'm still not normal. (laughs) But they said that I wasn't going to be able to be born probably because mom was having some issues. And dad said, it will be as I say. You remember that story? And he says, Jordan is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And he belongs to me, so I have rights and authority over him. And I believe he's going to get here even if he is a weirdo. That's a memorial to God. You guys remember that story? So do I. Now, what are those? Those aren't rocks in your backyard, but they're memorials in your mind of what God has done for you. Just like when you see Joshua could tell all the people that went on in future generations, hey, God split that sea or that river. Just like he split the Red Sea for Moses, he split the Jordan River for us people. And later on when we get into the story of Joshua, he could go around the promised land and say, remember that city? God helped us overcome that city too. And that king right there, we thought we weren't going to make it, but God helped us through that too. But I could think back about that story and God's, and, and God's told him it will be as he says. And then I was born. And I'm here. 30 years later. That's a memorial to God. And when he tells you he had pain in his side for 14 years, so if you're dealing with pain in your body, don't be uh, afraid or discouraged for God is with you. And then he met a man named Dr. Dufresne who would be a spiritual father to him who said that pain will leave your side after 14 years and the pain left his side. That's a memorial to God. Come on now, somebody. And the only reason I'm telling these stories is because most of you know these stories. And they're a memorial in your mind, but I know if you can go in your mind right now, you could think of so many things God has done. Don't forget them. Make a memorial in your mind and in your heart. Maybe even write them down for future generations to read. 
of what God has done in your life. I remember with our church dealing with financial issues with the new building and a random person who doesn't even like this church showed up and put a check for $43,600 in the front door. And dad said, somebody's anointing to help me. That's a memorial to God. And then he came back and gave $13,000 more to pay off the rest of it because somebody's anointed to help me. Those aren't just stories. Those are memorials to God. Come on, am I preaching this morning or not? I'm trying to help you and trying to encourage you today. Those are memorials to God of what he's done. Once again, why did Joshua put those things there? Because future generations will say, if he did this for us, then he can do it again. Do you know how God got us through this? He can do it again. Do you see what God has done in our history, our testimonies, what God has done in our life? These are memorials to God. And as a church, listen to me today. You need to honor what God has done in your life and in your family. You need to talk about it more to your children and your grandchildren and to each other. You need to open up to co-workers who need to hear what you have to say to say what God has done in your life. You need to open up to neighbors who are struggling through a situation and say, no, God did this in my life because they are memorials to God. Did you guys get something this morning? So I believe we're going to take some steps of faith in the future. Could you learn all that from the book of Joshua? Yeah, it's all in there. And why did Joshua say that? Not just for his sake, but so future generations like us could read it and say, hey, if God did this for him and his people, he can do it for me. So listen for this. Number one, listen for his instructions. Honor the presence of God. Step out in faith. Lastly, make a memorial of what God's done in your life. Come on, did you get something today? Let's stand up today. We are three minutes over the line, sweet Jesus. But it was all good, right? Come on, can we raise our hands today? Father, we love you. Come on, let's just thank him for a moment of the goodness of God in our lives. Father, we thank you today. Come on, can we just thank him for all the things that he's done? Think back in your mind right now of all the testimonies, of all the situations he's brought you through. Think of all the things in your life that you need to make a memorial to God to say thank you. Father God, we thank you. Thank you, Father, that we will tell our children and our children's children. We will tell future generations. We will tell this community. We will tell coworkers. We will tell people we go to school with about the goodness of God. Father, we thank you for today. Come on, does anybody have a reason to be thankful today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you today. We thank you, Father, for your goodness. We thank you, Father God, for helping us. We thank you for making a way where there is no way in our lives, doing things beyond what we could do in our own strength. Father, we thank you for it today. We love you today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to be a church that steps out in faith and takes a hold of the promises of God. And we thank you for it today. We love you today. We thank you today. Father, we just get in agreement as a church family for uh, the Word and Spirit Conference this upcoming week. Father, we thank you for what you're going to do in this conference. We thank you for a full house all week long full of uh, people that need to know you. Father God, people that are hungry for the things of God. We pray for safety for anyone traveling here this week to the Word and Spirit Conference. We pray that you would anoint uh, Dr. Jacobs and Pastor Diana, you'd anoint uh, uh, Pastor Hadabal, Pastor Rogan. You'd anoint everyone else who's going to speak and preach. We pray, Father God, that you give them strength. You'd anoint them to have a word in season for us. And, Father, we thank you that we would be a great host church for this uh, meeting. We thank you for the ministry of helps. We thank you for the giving. We thank you, Father God, for the praise team. We thank you for everyone being involved, the people that are going to be in the back helping prepare meals that we would be anointed to do what we're called to do. Father, we thank you for a life-changing a Word and Spirit conference, a life-changing week of meetings, and we thank you for it as a church. And Father, we thank you for this word today, that it would go into our hearts and help us 
and encourage us as we leave today. Father, we thank you for the angels of God that go with us to protect us and defend us. We thank you that the peace of God, the joy of the Lord is our strength as we leave today. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.